Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and of course, as always, I'm very happy you are all joining us for uh, the show today. I've been looking forward to this conversation um, because we're going to talk, and I'll introduce him in a minute, to two members of the General Assembly, a Republican and a Democrat. And, and I want to hear their takes, as I'm sure all of you do, on the issues that emerged from the session and what impact they think they will have on the election cycle moving forward. I'll introduce them in just a minute, but we've got a lot of other news to talk about as well. Let me start by introducing Kevin Riley, the boss, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who's my Thursday partner on the show. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Bill, and it's good to be here on this fine spring day. And I'm also looking forward to uh, to the conversation today because uh, now that the legislators legislate legislature's done, we'll get to see how what they did will play out in Georgia. That's ex- that's exactly right. Margaret Coker is back with us. She is the editor in chief of uh, the Current, which is a nonprofit news organization operating down on the coast out of Savannah. Um, Margaret, things going well for you down there? Yeah, we have a lovely spring day. I've been up early getting um, my garden set before it hits 80 degrees for um, Easter Passover weekend. <laughs> I, okay. Uh, I, I, you know, there's nothing quite like spring is fine. There's nothing quite like a mid-July day in Savannah, Georgia. It's bad enough here in Atlanta, but holy cow, the humidity you deal with down there. I'm glad you're getting your garden taken care of now. Senator Kim Jackson is uh, with us. She is um, a Stone Mountain state senator. She's Her, her uh, uh, district is based out of Stone Mountain. She's an Episcopal priest who um, uh, holds services primarily for the homeless. The, the, uh, the Church of the Common Good, I think, is, is the correct title for what you're doing. Is that right, Kim? It's the Church of the Common Ground, and uh, we Ground. are I'm sorry. without walls. Yeah, so wherever we are, we um, understand that we can create holy ground. Um, but it's really great to be here, especially during this kind of really whole, high holy time for so many religious traditions. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. We're doing a show uh, about just that tomorrow, and I'll, I'll mention it to our listeners in a little while. But Chuck Efstration is back with us as well. He's a state representative in Decula, um, a Republican. Chuck, um, have you been recovering pretty well from the session? It was a, it was a long and at times a very tense session. Very productive session, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. I want to join in with the uh, well wishes, uh, blessings for Passover and, and happy Easter, Easter to uh, the listeners. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, and, and we're also in the middle of Ramadan right now. So um, as I said, I'm going to talk about a show we're going to do on all that uh, tomorrow. Kevin Riley, though, let me start with an item that popped up on my radar just this morning as I was reading uh, the website Politico. Um, and it's important because yesterday on this show, we were talking with the panel about the difficulties David Perdue seems to be having breaking through in his run against Brian Kemp. 
And the question came up about what exactly Donald Trump was going to do moving forward. He's held a rally for him down here. But would Trump actually put money into the Purdue campaign or would he stay out of it? And we all sort of laughed at the idea of Trump opening his purse strings. Politico reports this morning that, in fact, um, Trump has put, so far, half a million dollars into the Purdue campaign. Um, and, and, and let me just read you one graph, Kevin, and then uh, let you uh, start the conversation from the story. The move, it, by the way, this is the first time Trump has put money into a campaign uh, outside of his own since he left the White House. The move underscores the importance and urgency of Georgia in Trump's eyes, says Politico. Kemp has a substantial polling lead over Purdue and has far outpaced his rival in fundraising, despite absorbing more than a year of attacks from the former president. Uh, so, Kevin, uh, we should talk about what it means that Trump is putting a little money into this thing. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of hard to figure out. I mean, his animus toward Brian Kemp appears to have no limits. Let's let's start with that. And he is sitting on $110 million with that pack. So he could give – my math's not very good, so listeners can check me. But if I if I understand this, he, that means he could do this like 220 times if he wanted to. So maybe it's not quite as significant as it seems. But um, I, I mean, I know that many people in Georgia believe giving to the Purdue campaign is just throwing good money after bad. Um, you know it, it, that that's right, and that's exactly what we uh, talked about yesterday uh, on the show. But but, but now. Now we see that Trump is willing to put some money into this thing. And, Margaret, we've talked on a number of occasions about the fact that Trump's put – he's put a lot of his reputation on the line endorsing a number of candidates in Georgia. This clearly becomes the most important state in the primary season for Donald Trump. Well, right. I mean, sitting here in Georgia, it certainly feels that way. I think there's probably other states who who um, would argue that their state is the most important as a bellwether for Donald Trump. But but clearly, because of of um, the animus towards Camp, because uh, our our senatorial races um, that decided control of the Senate in 2020, yes, I mean, absolutely, objectively, Georgia is the bellwether. And we also, of course, have um, some leading um, state Republican officials who are trying to get over this, this Trump, um, the cleavage in the party with Chris Carr and um, others, the, the GOP 2.0 campaign. I mean, really, this is going to be a, um, a really interesting look through the fall to see whether the grand old party can get its uh, house back in order. Because as I keep saying over and over again, America can only... Um, can only succeed when we have two legitimate working parties that um, that can come to compromises and start in legislating for the social good, not the one party space. Chuck, to what extent, as you uh, look at your Republican colleagues, uh, both in the legislature and, and other others in the party, to what extent is this battle between Purdue and, and Kemp having an impact on, on all of you as you watch it unfold? Well, I think the governor has a tremendous record to run on uh, this year. The legislative session, I know we'll discuss in a moment, but was incredibly productive. The money that the governor's campaign has already put up for advertising and campaign effort just before the primary is substantial, far out, out uh, exceeds the amount that um, that we're talking about here, which was given to uh, uh, 
Senator Purdue, former Senator Purdue's campaign. I also would say that uh, PACs that are supporting Governor Kemp will be uh, continuing to tout his record, I expect. And ultimately, I think this will have very little impact on the ultimate outcome of, of the election. Look, former presidents sometimes get involved in, uh, in political races. That is going to occur. That's going to happen. But Governor Kemp's record is so strong and the issues that he's been able to address are so important to Georgians. I think this will ultimately have very little impact. Um, Chuck, uh, not to put you on the spot, but given what you just said about Brian Kemp and his record, I assume that means you are uh, standing by him in his race for re-election. I fully endorse uh, Governor Kemp for re-election. He's a good man and has been an outstanding leader for our state. And I can't wait to talk. I know we're going to discuss the legislative session in a moment, but the record of success that he's had has helped all Georgians. And uh, I think that record is going to be very strong, both in the primary and the general election this year. Kim, to what extent do Democrats feel that the battle uh, between uh, Purdue and Kemp is giving Stacey Abrams a clear playing field to define herself, get her message out? And and how important do you think it will be once a Republican nominee uh, uh, wins the election moving forward in the general election? Will the Republican Party come together? And, and are you kind of hopeful they don't as a Democrat? Sure. I mean, I think that we saw this happen last year with uh, Senator Resident Raphael Warnock not really having anybody to uh, contend with for quite some time during a primary as Republicans went after each other. And we're seeing this replayed out again. And, you know, Stacey Abrams kind of has a very clear path where she can send out a very clear message about calling for Medicaid expansion, about the way that she is working on behalf of the people of Georgia to make us healthier and safer. And so that, that gives her a nice long run-up uh, to get that message out before she even has to battle against uh, whoever wins the primary. So it works well for Democrats. Um, ultimately, I do hope that the Republican Party can find a way to, um, to get themselves together, to get their house in order, to follow Margaret's um, word, because we are stronger together. I mean, that is true. And our democracy works when we have parties that are able to work together to create compromise. Um, before we leave uh, the subject of Trump and his gift, Kevin, uh, I do want to point out that apparently, if I read the Politico piece correctly, um, this this $500,000 donation to the campaign uh, happened late last month. It's just we're learning about it now because, according to Politico, it was that money which from the, Trump's Save America PAC, which gave a Kemp... Uh, some funding to run a TV ad saying that, I'm sorry, that, that allowed Purdue to run a TV ad that uh, claims that Kemp has, quote, dismissed concerns about voter fraud in the 2020 election. If Kemp can't beat voter fraud, he won't beat uh, Stacey Abrams. So we're just learning about this gift, but the money's already fueled a Purdue TV campaign. Yeah, it's true. And apparently they've run that commercial right, if, we're, if Politico is correct, in conservative parts of the state. The idea getting the idea is get these Trump supporters, the people who believe the election was stolen, out to vote, vote for Purdue. Because Kemp has held the line there. I mean, we heard him say, I think it was last week, that uh, he, had, he, had, he, he was not a dictator and he could not not follow the law when it came to certifying the election. So this idea that Trump keeps going back to the voter fraud, and that's why he lost the state, that even if he had won, he would have still lost the election anyway, I think remains uh, what 
he, the line of attack that he wants, and it's really hard to believe that's going to work. Okay, um, let's move on to another story that actually relates to uh, Trump and his decision to uh, endorse a ticket of Republicans in Georgia. Margaret, um, the University of Georgia School of Public and International Affairs just released an interesting poll, and it's a little different from the kind of polls they typically do. They wanted to see if they could assess how big an impact Donald Trump is going to have on Republican candidates in the primary contest. And what they learned is that their methodology was that they they told one group of people who Trump was supporting, and another group, they did not tell uh, the uh, uh, respondents who <laughs> Trump was supporting. And they compared uh, how the uh, uh, um, uh, choices of voters lined up around that. And here's what's interesting, Margaret. At the top of the ticket, um, Brian Kemp and David Perdue, and, and, and then Herschel Walker, the group that was told about the endorsement and the group that wasn't, there was very little difference between them. Um, Kemp was uh, 48, 37 among the group of vo- voters who were not informed that the president had backed uh, Purdue. And uh, Purdue's numbers went up only like two points when with the group that was told about Trump's backing. Um, same for the Senate race, where <clears throat> it didn't make much difference. Herschel Walker was far away the choice of, of both groups. Now, I apologize if that's sort of a, a convoluted way of explaining this, but what is important about this, it's in down-ballot races where the endorsement makes a difference, Margaret. It was incredibly helpful for Burt Jones, running as the Trump candidate for lieutenant governor, and for Patrick Witt, who very few people in the state know anything about. He's uh, running for insurance commissioner, and his support soared among the group that knew Trump was supporting him. Margaret? Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know that, that my neighbors and uh, normal Georgians who aren't political hacks like all of us um, on this panel actually have started to care about elections yet. So I think this poll is interesting. I think it's also very limited. When you have um, races that, that general voters don't pay a lot of attention to, insurance commissioner for, for starters, I think that when you're looking at marketing and branding, the Trump brand is incredibly strong in Georgia. It's incredibly strong among um, um, a very significant segment of people here and across America. And so I don't see that uh, that bump as very, I don't know, surprising, because if you if you haven't paid attention to certain races, that's going to be your only barometer of who you should choose. At the same time, I would say that we should all be careful of any polls. Uh, you know, the undecideds um, in this poll are also incredibly high, you know, in the 30 percent, in the 50 percent. And so as we all keep talking about Trump um, and we all keep talking about these races, I think Georgia voters will make up their own minds soon. But for now, there's still a lot of concern, a lot of uncertainty about who's going to represent local interests better than um, a national brand. Chuck, I do think Margaret makes an important point. Voters already know who Brian Kemp and David Perdue are. But when it comes to down-ballot races, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, um, you know, Insurance Commissioner Patrick Witt, they know nothing about him. So any differentiator uh, that is uh, that Republican voters uh, find favorable is likely to give a big boost to these candidates who they don't know in other terms. I agree with Margaret. The... Um 
it is very early in the process right now. Of course, advertising candidates uh, haven't been able to really get their message out extensively to voters. So facts like that could make a real impact now, whereas later in the campaign season, once uh, these candidates have had more of an opportunity to communicate their message to voters, maybe uh, primary voters will feel uh, different about uh, about their support. What, what I would just say is that it is uh, there's nothing unusual about former presidents getting involved in state races, even local races. I know President Obama previously uh, was uh, – giving endorsements or uh, mail was used with his image to support even state legislative races. So this kind of thing happens, I think, uh, in modern times as uh, political messaging is more nationalized. It's happening more and more. And uh, and there's really nothing out of the ordinary that these kinds of things are going to occur um, and potentially impact uh, impact primary voter considerations. Kim? Yeah, I I think one of the big pieces that um, any Republican who is um, on this poll will need to take away is that it's just essential that they hit the ground. And the reality is when people meet Butch Miller, um, who's running for lieutenant governor on the Republican side, they're going to have a different experience with him than when they meet Burt mm-hmm. Jones. But they just, they, you know, they have to get out on the campaign trail. Um, a number of the folks who are running for office have been in the legislative general assembly with us. And so they haven't been able to be on the campaign trail um, until these, these coming weeks. And so um, I think it's just way too early, way too soon to tell um, what this is really going to mean. I mean, to me, it makes perfect sense. You know, Bill, if I'm talking to somebody and I'm like, I don't know them, Bill, what do you think? And you tell me it's a good thing, I'm going to go with it. But if I know them already, I don't really care what you have to say as much, right? And so that's, that's what we're seeing here with this poll. I look forward to seeing um, folks actually hit the ground, people to get to know the candidates for themselves, and, and then we'll see how it goes. Bill, I'm tempted to go down that line of um, Kim not caring very much what you say, but I'm going to let that go. And I have a, a question for both uh, for for Chuck for Chuck and Kim, um, and I'll start with you, Chuck. I mean, how far can this go? You talked about national politicians getting in, involved in local races. If Trump can influence things at the top, how much does it help him? You know, in terms of his future plans or any national politicians' future plans to go deeper. I mean, can we expect him to get involved in the East Point and Roswell Council races? These are fair <laughs> questions, Kevin. I Look, I think that uh, there, while national messaging is uh, undoubtedly very important in, uh, in all races, I do think that local elected officials have a connection with their voters that's very unique and that at some point, um, as Senator was just saying, the connection, the interaction with that individual leads and drives uh, voting a certain way in local areas. So if you have a state legislative race, certainly city council, school board, things like that, you're going to have the kind of interaction that would, uh, where voters are knowledgeable about the individual far more than the messaging. Boy, we have a weird sound that interrupted there for a minute. Um, somebody have a microphone out with a train going by in the background? <laughs> uh, let's hope we can get rid of that uh, uh, sound, Natalie and Sam. Kim, uh, let me turn to you on this as well. Uh, Tip O'Neill, the late great Democratic Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, made one of the most famous comments in politics. All politics, he said, is local. Well, that's been completely flipped on its head in certainly the last couple of election cycles, yes? Yes, I think that's true, particularly for these kind of statewide races where it's very difficult for candidates to really get in front of uh, local 
um, actual voters. But again, when it comes to state legislative races, when it comes to city council, there's nothing that's going to beat uh, a person coming and knocking on their door and you meeting them uh, face to face. Voters aren't, you know, voters in Georgia are they're intelligent people. And, you know, having some national figure who endorses you, but no local people who endorse you will be telling for folks. Uh, and so I think it's just really important and essential that voters continue to pay attention, that they look and see, okay, well, so Trump endorses somebody or, or Barack Obama endorses somebody or Joe Biden endorses somebody, but, but who actually can vouch for them, who knows them, who's maybe sat at table with them or, or been in a city council meeting with them. Um, voters are smart, and I think that when we get closer to the election, we'll see which candidates were able to actually get in front of the faces of voters, whether that was via t- television or radio um, or in person, and, and that's going to make all the difference. All right. Uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we get our first break of the show out of the way? Because when we come back, I do want to talk about this legislative session in uh, the context of how it is setting up both Democrats and Republicans for the messaging that they're going to carry forward in the election cycle. We'll do that with our panel after these messages. Kevin Riley, Margaret Coker, Chuck F. Stration, and Kim Jackson joined me for today's show. Um, Kevin, both you, Margaret, GPB News spent an awful lot of time covering the legislative session, um, which, by the way, I think is interesting. There was a time maybe a decade ago when legislative coverage was a little more sparse than it is today. I think news organizations have really come to understand just how important the legislature is and have really focused on it in in ways that changed over what I remember a decade or so ago, Kevin. I would agree with you, Bill. And of course, uh, Margaret has, uh, with her organization, has put a new entry into the field that is, you know, gaining influence. I think every day. But what I always tell people is I believe that the state legislature affects average Georgians' lives more than any other level of government, and more consistently. And that's the level of government where I believe we at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution have the greatest responsibility to demand accountability. And I'm glad you feel that way, and I sure hope your listeners feel that way, too. Yeah, and of course, Lawmakers has been a big part of the legislative conversation for it's the longest-running television show in Georgia, so GPB continues that uh, commitment as well. Um, All right, the advertisement's out of the way. Uh, Let's talk about the session. Chuck, uh, you're in the majority. The Republicans control the legislature. So let me give you the first shot at this. When you think about uh, the session, which has now been over long enough to really digest a lot of what happened, what do you think will be the most important messages in terms of legislation passed and legislation rejected moving forward in a general way in Republican election campaigns? Well, Bill, this is a tall task. So many important things occurred this legislative session, but I have to start with the Mental Health Parity Act. Speaker David Ralston's landmark legislation to comprehensively address both substance abuse and mental health treatment in Georgia is critically important. And we will see the benefits of this for decades to come. Really uh, addressing an issue that impacts all aspects of state and local government and impacts so many families across Georgia, I think is incredibly noteworthy and will be an issue in the campaign this year. The state budget this year was incredibly beneficial to Georgians. We're talking about 
$5,000 pay raise for state employees. Governor Kemp making good on his uh, $5,000 pay raise for all teachers in Georgia. Uh, education being fully funded, prioritizing uh, public safety, transportation, health care. Really a very impressive budget. Additionally, a tax cut, a reduction of state income tax uh, to 5.5, ultimately going to 4.99% uh, tax credit to all uh, filers uh, filing jointly, $500 to all individuals, $250, which is going out this spring, I believe. Um, uh, just very Im impressive, I think, fiscal policy. For, for me, just an important issue was I carried legislation to give the Attorney General of Georgia, who's currently Chris Carr, the ability to prosecute gang crimes. Currently, gangs are estimated to be involved in over 50 percent of all violent crime in the state. That's really amazing when you think about how uh, what an issue with respect to public safety gang crimes are. These crimes are multi-jurisdictional, can happen in different parts of the state from the same gang. Our state prison system continues to struggle with the gang issue, allowing the attorney general to prosecute gang crimes, which requires some specialized knowledge many times, is very helpful. And they will work in conjunction with the uh, with the GBI, who has a specialized unit to look into these. So in the areas of fiscal responsibility, education, health care, mental health, and public safety, very impressive legislative session. Thank you uh, for that. Kim Jackson, I want to give you a chance um, to weigh in on whether it's positive things like the mental health bill, which I think you agree was an important <laughs> piece of bipartisan legislation, or things that you think Democrats will use against Republicans. It's your choice. Yeah, sure. I mean, I do want to lift up the mental health bill. 1013 um, is an incredibly important piece of legislation for all Georgians. That um, it was a bipartisan effort, and I'm excited and really grateful that it passed, um, despite some kerfuffle that uh, ex some extreme folks on the right uh, tried to stir up around that. Um, so I, I do want to lift up that. Uh, however, you know, we will continue as Democrats continue to beat the drum around the failure to expand Medicaid. Um, so on the positive side, Medicaid was expanded for um, women who are postpartum all the way out for a full year, which is great. Um, but the reality is our rural hospitals keep closing. Um, people are continue to not have access to care. There are over 500,000 Georgians who don't have access to health care um, simply because we won't expand Medicaid. And so, you know, we're going to keep um, telling that. We're going to keep um, going hard on that issue. I think there's some other pieces that we have to name that um, were, were certainly failures uh, in terms of what happened this year. You know, we have a right to farm bill or a freedom to farm bill that was passed, which is really a freedom to be a bad neighbor bill. Um, it, it doesn't protect farmers. It doesn't protect private property owners in particular. Um, and so what it does is it allows a farm to come to you, uh, to come to your neighborhood, and can, um, you know, after two years of kind of flying under the radar, they can start to create all kinds of nuisances, and nobody will have an opportunity uh, to sue because of those nuisances. And so, um, you know, that's a, an attack on private property rights. I think one of the um, a bill that kind of went under the radar was there was a lot of attack on local governments being able to create ordinances and to protect themselves against a variety of things. Um, for example, we passed a bill that allows for um, all these little robots to deliver your Amazon packages. And, uh, you know, for some of us, that's a great idea, 
But for some cities, they may not like that. And what we did was we passed a state law. Republicans pushed this through that will allow any neighborhood, every neighborhood in Georgia, will have to accept these little robots running around their city, whether they want it or not. And we saw there time and time again, redistricting was an awful experience for those of us who were in Democratic-run areas where our local redistricting was hijacked by Republicans. And so these are things we're going to come and we're going to talk about on the campaign trail as the ways in which that Republicans have not been helpful when it comes to really supporting Georgians. So, uh, Margaret, uh, 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 Kim mentioned the extremist reaction to the mental health bill. Ron Stevens, representative down your way in Savannah, uh, gave a, uh, was part of a podcast with uh, Savannah uh, Morning News in which he uh, called out. He said opposition, <clears throat> he's a Republican, opposition to the mental health bill uh, made me nauseated. The idea that people who claim to be Republicans would connect dots that don't exist makes me pretty ashamed. He says, unfortunately, you've got extremists on both sides. We have our share. And he's speaking, of course, Margaret, about the fact that there were people who were attacking the mental health bill as a protection act for pedophiles and all sorts of crazy disinformation theories, which really didn't uh, do much uh, uh, to to uh, show the Republicans in a, in a favorable light at the Capitol. Yeah, um, Ron Stevens is is one of our um, venerable um, uh, representatives from from coastal Georgia, and and he represents uh, one wing of of the state Republican Party right now. Right, um, there seems to be a. a a, a big part of, of the state party that, that still believes in common sense, still believes in facts, still believes in solutions-based um, legislation, and then there's another wing. And, and so uh, I, I think that, you know, back to, to the polls that we were referencing earlier, I think the, um, the, the wing of the GOP here that believes in common sense is actually on the rise. I mean, the, the legislation that was passed shows that there is a way to build consensus a way to marginalize um, a, a wing of, of the Republican Party here that that wants to um, destroy all all known facts and, and all compromise. And I think that um, Representative Stevens uh, put put a finger on that there. And to the benefit of all Georgians, um, thankfully, that bill did pass. Kevin. You know, I have a question for uh, both Chuck and Kim, and I'll uh, let's start with Kim. I mean, one of the the things that happened in legislature that was very popular, and Chuck mentioned, was the tax cut. But so uh, there are a few different ways to think about that. But I, I would mention a couple things. Once Georgia had a big surplus, in part thanks to a lot of federal infusion of funds, which the governor and many Republican politicians were against when when that bill was passed in Washington, but. It, that immediately turned into let's give taxpayers money back, let's cut taxes, instead of a conversation about what did we learn during this pandemic. I mean, I think we learned that our public health system is way underfunded. Um, there were there have been a lot of conversation about horrible conditions in Georgia prisons, some of it related to the pandemic and some of it related to other things. And then through all of this, we ended up with a flat tax, which is a fundamental change in the vision or policy of taxation, but it was sort of presented as a tax cut, and now, and now we have a flat tax. Again, big changes, big policy decisions. I wonder about the progress of Georgia. I mean, do you feel like we missed an opportunity here to take Georgia forward in some ways uh, in the frenzy to talk all about a tax cut in an election year? 
Yeah, I, I think that this actually was quite short-sighted. Um, so what we know is that with the Great Recession, a number of state agencies, all state agencies, received extraordinary austerity cuts. Um, we are not, we have not fully brought people back up from those cuts, despite having a $3.1 billion influx of federal funds and extra dollars. Um, so I'm deeply concerned that we haven't decided to shore up our public health safety net. Um, we passed this great mental health bill that is really incredible, and I'm grateful for it. But I am very concerned that we're not actually going to have the money necessary to fund this new measure, um, despite putting some money in the budget. But when you give greater access to mental health care to folks, more people are going to access it, and it's going to cost more money, and we haven't really shored that up. Um, I do think it's also short-sighted when it comes to this flat tax. Um, this, is, this is one of those fat cow years, to use a, a metaphor from the Bible, but in the lean years, a, a flat tax is going to be devastating to us. And so we're going to have to continue to be vigilant. I think this was a, a lost opportunity. We could have done a lot of work um, to not just fully fund public schools, which is what we talk about, but to really evaluate the QBE formula and to go back in and actually fund schools to the level that they need to be funded, which is beyond what the QBE formula calls for. Chuck, I definitely think you deserve a chance to respond to what you uh, heard from uh, Kim and from Kevin. Well, thanks. Yeah. So first of all, ultimately, revenue from the government is not the government's money. It's taxpayer money. And when all uh, first of all, the revenue was, uh, I think, continues to be high because of how Governor Kemp reopened the economy, got uh, was able to save jobs and livelihoods. But additionally, Kevin, I think it's important to reflect that several years ago, the General Assembly passed a tax cut with the intent to bring things to 5.5. And there was a uh, endorsing resolution that was required that right as the pandemic was beginning to hit, that wasn't passed. So the intention was always to come to 5.5 going back years. And uh, that was not a reaction to uh, a great deal of drawdown funds that just happened during the pandemic. Uh, ultimately, Georgia's uh, tiered tax system was incredibly antiquated with the uh, different levels involved. That hadn't been updated in many, many years. It was, it was not regularly updated like the federal tax code has been uh, in the following decade. So uh, this act was a modernization of the tax code and gives a tax cut uh, across the board, uh, in, in my view, when you consider also the uh, other benefits that are part of the bill. When you were able to fully fund education and fully fund priorities of the state, then remaining revenue should go back to the taxpayers. It's their money. Which is not to say that uh, in an election year, this is the sort of thing Republicans especially really like to look to do, Chuck, which is to uh, tell people they're going to pay less in their uh, taxes. I think that's a fair observation. I want, And you can comment on that if you want. But I, I do want to ask you another question, and then, Margaret, I know you want to jump in. I'm surprised that uh, Kim Jackson, uh, I know why she talked about about uh, Medicaid. This is going to be the number one issue that Stacey Abrams will run on in, in the fall campaign, is expanding Medicaid, offering better uh, health services to Georgians. So I get why that's what she focused on. But Chuck, I'm wondering from your point of view, 
I understand that for Republicans with primary opposition, that the education bills that you all passed, which put the state in the middle of, uh, of, of, of things like the discussions about race in classrooms, which give parents some new opportunities to uh, uh, take books out of the classroom, uh, which expands their rights in terms of uh, looking at curriculum far in advance. I get that those are popular for primary campaigns. How do you turn that around in November? I believe that Governor Kemp and the General Assembly have a very strong message coming for the general election. And, you know, you just go through. I talked about the state budget a moment ago, fully funding education, addressing mental health care across the state of Georgia. These issues matter uh, in both political parties. And there has been bipartisan support for many of the major bills that have received media coverage at the state capitol when you campaign on that when the governor is able to say i've been able to deliver for all georgians and i've represented all georgians at the state capitol i think that uh that that occurs and i'll just say bill some of the bills you've referenced you know these debates and discussions have been ongoing for years uh there has been debate about what this what these policies should look like i've sat in on many of the committee hearings discussing some of these issues you just raised so I, I uh, would not characterize it as a uh, response just to the election that some of this legislation comes out. Um, look, I'm not naive. Certain bills uh, get introduced by members because there's an election coming up. I understand. But, uh, but I do think that, that uh, Governor Kemp and the General Assembly has a strong – the Republicans and the General Assembly have a strong general election message coming this November. Yeah, I just – I want to be clear here that what we've seen is that – Basically, the Republicans have said to teachers, we're going to give you $5,000 if you just keep your mouth shut about all the ways that we've attacked you and told you that you're not good at your job. So we're going to hand something to you with our right hand and hit you with our left hand. I mean, we see that we're going to expand access to mental health care with our right hand, and we're going to close our hand when it comes to expanding Medicaid with our left hand. We're going to say that things are fully funded with one word, one side of our mouths, but when you look at our actual budget, when you look at the history, in truth, we know that we still have not fully funded what we were doing 10 years ago. So it's a lot of sideways talk that's happening to make people think, oh, this looks pretty on the outside. We've painted the house nice and beautifully, but on the inside, we've gone in and gutted it and refused to allow teachers to teach the truth in their, in their classrooms. We've refused to give uh, teachers really the, the important things that they need in order to fully well educate our students, not just in terms of what they can teach, but in terms of the funding that's necessary to teach those children. So, Margaret, what I like about this conversation is it's doing what I would hope it would do. It's giving us a perspective from both Democrats and Republicans of what we can anticipate their messaging is going to be in the election cycle. Margaret? Yeah, and I would I would pivot off of um, both our elected um, officials' comments to say that as a Georgian, as a taxpaying Georgian, as a proud Georgian, I'm interested in what has been left on the table in terms of revenue generation for our state. Because as there are um, spending programs that are good for all Georgians, we need to raise more money as a state in order to pay for them. So um, the the, um, the expansion of, of gambling legislation that didn't pass through through um, this legislative season, it's a very controversial issue. I'm not taking a position on it, but that would have generated more revenue for the state to be able to put back into spending priorities. 
There's also something that I don't understand as a Georgian, why we aren't taxing cigarettes at a higher rate. Georgia has one of the lowest cigarette prices in in across America, and this doesn't seem to this seems to be a low hanging fruit that both parties could get behind: raise cigarette taxes, raise money for the state, and put it into spending priorities. Kevin, let me give you a last uh, comment before we have to take a break. Well, I'm not a gambler, but a lot of people are, and I think that the sports betting thing uh, <laughs> was a real surprise to me. And I'll tell you why, because all of our professional sports teams in Atlanta are behind it. And the argument is not really the one Margaret's making about about uh, money and all that. It's really from their point of view, they believe it makes them less competitive for their fans time. And so I was really shocked to find out that that never even made it to the floor. I, I've said on this show a number of times that there you cannot discount the ghost of Zell Miller hanging over the issue of gambling in Georgia. <laughs> he almost lost re-election because of his support for the lottery. Conservative Christians particularly came out to defeat him, and he was lucky that he won that race. So I think that's one of the answers <laughs> to that question. Look, we got to get to a break. Uh, we'll be back with a lot more with this terrific panel in just a minute. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Tomorrow is a rare convergence of holidays for three of the world's major religions. I think most of you know it's Good Friday tomorrow. It is also the first night of Passover for uh, Jews. And what makes it even more unusual, we're in the middle of Ramadan right now. And I think tomorrow is just about the midway point in Ramadan, which takes place the ninth month of the lunar cycle, and so moves from uh, various parts of the year. And so we're going to talk about that tomorrow. We're going to get away from politics. We're going to have um, Reverend Dr. Kevin Muriel, who is the senior pastor at Cascade United Methodist Church. We're going to have Rabbi Rachel uh, Bregman, who is the rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefilo in Brunswick, Georgia, and Sumaya Khalifa, who is one of the most important uh, community leaders in the Islamic community. Talk about these holidays and also talk with us about how they're, they're guiding their congregations uh, the uh, people in their community through these very difficult times that we're all experiencing. I'm really excited about that conversation and hope you'll all uh, be with us for that. Okay, uh, let's continue with uh, today's discussion. I I've got some Brian Kemp news I want to talk about, but what I don't want to happen, Margaret, is for the show to end without giving you a chance. We talk about all politics being national. Well, you've got a very important local story happening down in Camden County that you reported on um, in The Current. It has to do with the Camden Spaceport. Um, tell us a little bit about what your story is. Well, we're, um, as I've been on air with you all this, this hour, we're getting actually more news about the spaceport. For your listeners, in Camden County, where we have some of our most lovely protected barrier islands along the Georgia coast. The Board of Commissioners has spent $11 million over the last several years in hopes of building a spaceport, a place where rockets would be launched for commercial use. And they've spent $11 million of local taxpayer funds in order to try and get this off the ground, um, no pun intended. But what also happened uh, last month is that the um, citizens of Camden County had a referendum and they voted overwhelmingly to stop this in its tracks. 
over the last decade, there hasn't been a single job created. And the Board of Commissioners believes that this is going to be the biggest job creator that the county's ever seen. In the meantime, the Board of Commissioners has um, kept up its own conversations with private equity groups and in institutional investors trying to figure out a private-public partnership that would bring in outside money to help develop this spaceport. And uh, earlier this week, I think uh, it was either last night or two nights ago, sorry, I don't have my, um, the story in front of me, but, but the Board of Commissioners has gone ahead and made a new vote approving the purchase of the land that the spaceport would eventually be built on despite this overwhelming referendum last month by its own citizens um, trying to put a stop to this. So we at The Current, um, this is in our backyard. These are the kind of stories that, that we care about, accountability, local watchdog journalism. And so we're trying to figure out what this means in terms of both state law and the rights of citizens versus the rights of, of local governments um, here in Georgia. So, so let me be clear about something with you, make sure I understand it. Uh, the referendum was not binding. The referendum was uh, essentially just giving the will of the people, but the county commission feels it is perfectly entitled to move forward? Well, no, the referendum was binding. In fact, there were uh, oh. several judicial rulings um, in advance of the referendum holding off on the purchase of this property that the Board of Commissioners wants to buy. And the Board of Commissioners uh, had an emergency meeting earlier this week, um, and their position is that the referendum was binding off of uh, decisions that the board made prior to the referendum. But since they've taken a new vote, recommitting themselves and reaffirming themselves to buying this property, then they can move forward within the law. I think there'll be additional um, legal rulings uh, in the future about this. You know, uh, Kevin, at a time when uh, faith in government, trust in our government of, uh, elected officials is pretty low, it strikes me that Margaret's story uh, is an example of why people might be a, a little suspicious of what their elected officials do. Yeah, I, you know, this spaceport thing from afar, Margaret, has, has been interesting to me. And, I, of course, as you know, because we've talked before, I applaud the effort that your organization puts into covering it. I mean, it shows how necessary local journalism is. But I, I'm sorry to do this to you, but could you just take a minute and step back and explain to me, they want to build a spaceport? I mean, explain it really quickly for people who might not be familiar. Right. So as, as we all probably have heard from Elon Musk and, and others in the privatized rocket industry in America, there are private rocket launch sites that are, are helping um, our, our private industries put uh, commercial satellites into space. The Camden commissioners want to build such a spaceport um, along the Georgia coastline. The problem is that um, in, in a place where there is uh, probably the pro poverty rate is above state average, um, uh, college education rates also below state average. There's a great need for high-paying jobs in Camden County, and the, and the elected commissioners think that this is going to be a bullseye win for everybody. It brings in new money for the county, brings in better jobs, and it puts, um, it puts a small county in Georgia on the cusp of, of the technological revolution. Uh, however, there's also an incredibly important uh, conservation easement around that area, Cumberland Island, one of the, one of the most... Um, pristine and amazing places that, that we have in nature here in Georgia, it's in danger of being um, polluted and, and wrecked because of the position of the launch site. So it so, is a, so, it's a story ahead, about, about public activism, citizen activism, and a government that's going um, 
full out trying to fill its goal of creating jobs, regardless of the cost. So, so Kim, so Kim and Chuck, without necessarily asking you to weigh in the specifics, this is not only a, a, a story about the will of government, elected officials, and the voters. The contrast there. It's also about the issue of economic development as opposed to community interest. Similar to what some people out in uh, Monroe County think about the Rivian plant, and 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 so I'm curious about. You know, this sort of thing and how it does impact how uh, citizens feel about their elected officials if they don't think they're being heard these days, Kim. Yeah, and so I was thinking about this non or this binding referendum and uh, what will be very true for the Camden commissioners and for all of us is that there will be a very, very binding referendum. It's called um, primaries and and general elections uh, (laughs) where people will have an opportunity to vote folks out um, if they really feel unheard. These are, I mean, these are challenging and and complex issues, um, but as I was listening to the story, I was um, thinking specifically about the ways that people use the rules and manipulate the rules in order to get what they want, and that's what we saw time and time again in the General Assembly this year. I mean, the last-minute push-through of a bill, an amendment to a bill that makes a pathway for trans children not to be able to play on the, the sport that aligns with their gender. You know, that was a manipulation of the rules. Um, we were well past midnight. Um, it was rammed through because um, the will of individuals um, superseded, really, the, I think, the broader will of the people. Uh, let's say, by the way, Chuck, and I'll give you, you're going to get the last word because we're almost out of time. Uh, manipulating the rules at the last minute is something Democrats and Republicans have done in the legislature for decades and decades. It's yeah. not just a Republican maneuver. We could do a whole maneuver, show but... discussing that. Look, it's all about <laughs> reflecting the will of the people. I will, I will say this, though. You know, I'm in Gwinnett County, and regardless of how you feel about it, MARTA has been defeated, I think, two or three times on county referendum in the past three or four years. And commissioners keep calling it back up. So I think the real question here is, uh, is the will of the voters going to be uh, respected or how is that going to be treated ultimately? Uh, Voters want to know that they can trust politicians and that they follow through on what they commit to do. And I think that we're going to have a great opportunity to talk about the great successes we've had at the state capitol here in both the primary and the general election this year. And, Bill, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be with you here today. I, I'm glad that we had both you, Chuck Efstration, and you, Kim Jackson, as I said, staking out for us what the conversation is going to look like as the elections unfold. Um, Margaret Coker, always great to have you on the show. Uh, Kevin Riley, my Thursday partner, thank you for uh, being with us. We didn't get to the uh, Brian Kemp story. He's got a new ad out in which he takes credit for not only protecting the state from the pandemic, but keeping the economy thriving. That is going to be an interesting debate between Republicans and Democrats moving forward in the election cycle, and we'll talk about it on the show uh, in the days ahead. Again, tomorrow, a special show about these three major holidays, religious holidays that uh, tomorrow represents, and how people are feeling about their faith communities in troubled times. Um, That's it for us uh, today. We will be back with that show tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care. Stay healthy. See you all tomorrow.